Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. Our goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. I know it's been a while, but I've decided to slow it down a bit and because I want to put a heavy emphasis on quality podcasts. Not so much the things that are popular per se, but something that'll be helpful for those who take the time to listen and invest and uh, that will help you in your Christian walk and this Christian life. Today, we're going to talk about life in the spirit. I don't know how far we'll get. I'll probably have to make this a two-parter but understand that what does it mean to be to have a a spirit-filled life you know a lot of people when they think of a spirit-filled life they think of uh, a lot of speaking in tongues um, having these spiritual experiences seeing angels being filled with the holy ghost shaking falling backwards on the floor a lot of theatrics that's affiliated with the person and work of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, almost none of what I just mentioned is mentioned in Scripture as the work of of the Holy Spirit. And so people think that that's a spirit-filled life. So I got speaking tongues, I shout, I shout out of my shoes, I ran around the church a couple times, uh, and they think, well, that must mean I'm spirit-filled and I'm living a spirit-filled life. And then our young people look at that and think, okay, that's a spirit-filled life. And then in the back of their mind, like, okay, it's a nice experience, I guess. It makes you feel good. But I don't see where that enhances anybody's life or makes anyone's life any better than it already is. Uh, So we're going to look at what the Bible actually says about the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of what a spirit-filled Christian life really looks like. What does that look like? Um, And it's not what you think. Like I said, it's not um, shaking and quaking. It's not running around screaming. It's not uh, even speaking in tongues. That's not the spirit-filled life, per se, or what the Bible characterizes as a spirit-filled life. Um, that's only, maybe only one aspect of it, and a very small aspect of it. But what we've done, we've, we've strained the gnat, we've taken the minor thing, tongues, blown that out of proportion, and then we swallow the camel, which is the more important things on, on the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and, and, and what that actually looks like. So we're going to go take a little stroll through Romans chapter 8. We're going to take a little walk through there and we're going to look at some scriptures. And we're going to see what the Bible says about the spirit-filled life based on Romans the 8th chapter. So stick around and we're going to take a little quick look here. Look, see. And see what the spirit-filled life is really all about. 
Uh, let's take a little listen here for a minute. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Amen. Did you get that? The first part, verse 1 says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does for us when we get so after he saved us in, the, in his regenerative work and how he takes us from death to life. And, and only the Holy Spirit can do that. No sinner's prayer can do that. I don't care what you can go to the altar and say, Jesus, forgive me all you want. If the Holy Spirit is not active, it's, nothing's going to take place. Now you say, well, I thought if Jesus said, those who come to him, he would no wise cast out. Of course, if you're generally coming to him, um, by all means, he will not cast you out. But understand this. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to draw you to him. And that's my point. If the Holy Spirit is not at work, it doesn't matter whether you go to the altar or not. Uh, people go to the altar because they're manipulated, they're cajoled almost bullied into going to the to the altar sometimes and to accept Christ. But God's looking at the heart. He, he knows why you're up there. And if it's not if you're not up there because of the drawing power of the Holy Spirit, then you're really wasting your time. You know with counterfeit conversions. But that's that's something we'll probably deal with at another time. I've dealt with it before, but I think I'm need it needs some repeating again. And uh so that we can grasp it. But once you're regenerated, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. There's nothing out here to condemn you. You might say, well, I did some horrible things in my past. You know, you may have been a stripper. You may have been uh, a drug dealer. You may have been a drug trafficker. You may have even committed murder. Um, but if you are in Christ, there is now, therefore, no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. One of the things I used to tell guys... And uh, when I worked with uh, Pivot Ministries and you took a guy to court and I would make it clear to them, listen, the court system is not the same system as God, the court system. So in Christ, all your sins are forgiven. Whatever it is that you did that caused you to get you here in court, that's forgiven in Christ and you're saved. Beautiful. But the grace of God forgives and the, well, the government of God rolls on. But the government's going to want their pound of flesh. And so you, regardless of what the verdict is in your case, whether you go to prison or not, it, ha it has no bearing on your salvation. So yes, we can commit crimes, we can do things in the world. Yes, there are consequences to things that we do. Okay, things happen, we, co we commit sin, and sometimes it lands us in jail, sometimes a child is born. Uh, there are consequences to our behavior and our lifestyle. And... 
those are things that we that we may live with but but know that in Christ in spite of what of what you may have done or not done or what those consequences are it has no bearing whatsoever on your salvation one has nothing to do with the other so i want you to keep that in mind uh in terms of not having any condemnation in Christ. And that's the beautiful thing. So now there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But then he qualifies it. Those who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. So there's your qualifications. So you want to be someone who is following the spirit as opposed to try living on the, on the level of the lower nature. And it appears from here the Christian has some influence or some choice in how he wants to live his life. Are you going to live it by being influenced by the Holy Spirit? Or are you going to continue to let your lower nature... Now, when the Bible says flesh, I know we tend to think the body, the human body, like the human body is evil or matter is evil. And anything incorporeal, which is spirit, is good. That's not a Christian worldview. Okay, when the body speak, when the Bible speaks of flesh, and even in this context here, when it talks about the body, he's talking about the effects of sin on the entire being, on our entire being of man, our entire personhood. So it's the effects of sin on our physical body. It's the effects of sins on our mind. It's the effect of sin on our emotional life. It's the effect of sin on our volitional life, how we make our choices. It's the effect of sin on our conscience and the effect of sin on our spirit, man. It, it, every aspect. So when we, that's what we mean by flesh or the body of death. Um, it's, the, it's the impact of sin, the damage that it has done to us. And the Holy Spirit comes to reverse that, to change it around, to fix it. So that we don't have to live according to the dictates of our lower nature. I prefer to use the word lower nature than flesh or body. Because people tend, when they read it, they just think it's just a physical body. Um, the human body is good. That's why Christians, um, as a rule, do not practice cremation. Now, please, don't panic. If you cremated somebody, God can resurrect anybody that's cremated or not cremated. Whether you've been eaten by fish and your ship sank and the sharks ate you, or whether or not you're eaten by wild animals or you were cremated, God can reconstitute the human body exactly as it was or as it needs to be. Um, but in the resurrection, you're going to get a glorified body anyway and a glorified mind. And if you're not saved, then you get a body of wrath, which is another, um, which is another topic altogether so having said that no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit i'm going to pause here and break away from my notes a little bit because i think this needs a little bit more elaboration when I talk about the flesh or the human or the or the body, and when the Bible speaks of it, rather, not so much when I speak of it, let me explain to you what that looks like. Because, again, it's not just talking about the human body. It's the effects of sin. Now, how has the sin affected us? Well, let's talk about the human body as it is. 
the human body has three basic needs. It needs rest, right? We got to go to sleep to regenerate it. Um, it needs food, okay? It has appetites for food. Um, and then it has a sex drive, procreation. Because without the sex drive, man will not, humanity will cease to exist. We won't, we won't procreate. And so these are natural things. They're all good things. The sex drive is good. The desire to eat is good. And the desire to sleep. These are all good things. But because of the impact of sin, they've become exaggerated and more intense. In other words, it's like a, a, a river that's overflowing its banks. It's too full and now it's overflowing. And then it starts to flood. It's a river that was once life for the community is now destruction for the community because it's overflowing its banks. And so these desires become exaggerated and, and inordinate in ways that they should not be. So our sexual appetites are out of control. Not that sexual appetite is bad, but it's out of control. Um, which we all know which leads to sexual immorality. Or our appetites for food, which can be gluttony. You know, or, or that whole concept of partying to the, to the extreme to where we're always eating and drinking. Um, to the point of, uh, of obesity. I was at a... Um, a restaurant one time it was all you can eat and my daughter said dad everybody here is so is obese and i looked around the room and i was already big i was i'm a, i was obese myself i'm losing weight now i was 210 now i'm down to about in my one about 185 183 and going down but at that time i was obese myself i was 210 i looked at myself then i looked at my plate and how much food i had stacked up on it and then I looked around the room and it seemed like everybody was at least a minimum of 250. And I, you know, and, you know, it kind of turned me off. I, it kind of made me want to stop eating. I was like, okay, this is gross. I got to stop eating. There was a lady there. She was eating fried chicken when we got there. We stayed for maybe like an hour and a half, maybe, maybe two hours. Because, you know, we, you know, you eat and, and you go back for seconds. Which, yes, I went back for seconds. And my plates were large. No, I, I confess and deny not. And then, in addition to that, then we sit and, you know, you talk with your family and, you know, joke around a little bit and have some fun and fellowship. And then we all went back for dessert, right, for the ice cream. By that point, I decided, let me just get one scoop of ice cream. I, I can't see what everybody else had. Uh... But that's America. That's, you see that in America. You know, if you go back to pictures of America, say, in the 1930s, and you see people in New York, you don't see any overweight individuals. You don't see a lot of guts. But then if you look, fast forward to now, it seems like everybody's overweight. Um, and so these are things that we need to look at. So that's what I'm, I mean by, by your, your appetite for food and drink. It, it, it's, it's out of control. And the American diet, by the way, is salt and sugar. And these are the two things that are killing us, but it's in everything. You can't seem to get away from it. And I had to learn trying to change my eating habits so that I eat better, um, that I had to uh, decrease the amount of salt and sugar intake radically. Um, no, I have not completely eliminated it. 
but I have significantly de decreased it. And I find the only way to eat healthy is you got to cook your own food. You, most things that are store-bought in cans or prepackaged, forget it. Salt and sugar. So that's gluttony, overeating, overindulgence of the, of the, of the pleasures of the flesh. Um, and then our desire to sleep can turn to the sin of sloth or laziness. Not wanting to do put in the work that we're supposed to put in. So we get to our jobs, we cut corners, uh, we take naps when we're on the clock. Things of that nature, yeah, things that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and so that's what I mean. That's the effects of sin on the lower nature, on the on the on the on the, on the body. But now, how does sin affect your emotional life? Well, we already know our emotions are damaged. Everybody has damaged emotions. Uh, I call it emotional prostitution when you, when a boy or a girl, when you go from relationship to a relation. Every time you go to one relationship after another, some and and, and most of them are toxic or end badly, um, in each case, each time you break up with somebody, uh, you know, you have the more boyfriends and girlfriends you had before you finally meet the one, uh, the more damage you've done to yourself and to yourself emotionally. So a lot of marriages fail because you've got two people who are emotionally jacked up trying to get together. And though you may love each other and it may be real, that's not enough to to help you get past the jacked upness. And we bring all that baggage with us into the relationship. And it just leads to quarrels and eventually break down the relationship, no matter how deep the love may have been. And everybody's wondering, what, what's wrong here? And well, it's your emotional life. Both of you, you need to go back and check your emotional life. And that's why I recommend therapy for, for everybody. I, if I was a pastor of a church, nobody would get ordained. Nobody would get commissioned to ministry unless you go get some professional help to deal with your uh, issues in terms of uh, emotional issues. And that's one of the reasons why we have a lot of moral cesspools in our, in our churches, because a lot of people have issues and things that they have not either confronted or even tried to resolve. But they're gifted and, and maybe even called by God. And so they're there, but they have not processed some other aspects of their life. Jimmy Swagger talked about uh, getting a porn mag when he was a kid, and he never got over it. And when he got wealthy and rich, I don't know if he did or not, but I'm going to assume that he didn't go and get some professional help because most Pentecostals, in particularly, don't think that secular help is, is of any value. Um, but, it, but it is uh, in terms of therapy. Okay, so that's what your emotional life. Our emotions are damaged, and God has to heal them. Our bodily appetites have to be brought under the control and discipline of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about the mind. The mind is where your discernment is, the ability to discern right from wrong. And we saw that in Romans 1. Um, the more you sin, the, the less discernment you have. Uh, in terms of the things of God and what's right and what's wrong. Now, yeah, you have some experience, game recognized game. People can't run a game on you because you've seen it already. You've done it yourself. But I'm talking about when it comes to discerning the things of God, as that's just not there. Ephesians 4 says, having the understanding darkened and having ignorance in us. So there's lack of knowledge of God in the human mind. And then this mind is already being darkened by sin. And so for that reason, 
you can't make the proper choices because you don't have the proper information and your discernment meter just ain't working uh, on the level that it should be or could be. And so God has to renew the mind. He has to enlighten the mind so that we can make good decisions. And now let's talk about the human will where our decisions are made. The human will, because it has fallen, is in bondage to sin. It's called it's a little short booklet by Martin Luther. You might want to go up and order it. Um, it's called uh, The Bondage of the Will. The, we have what is known as limited free will. You know what that means? That means we can only choose to do what is in our nature. And since the sinner doesn't have a, a, a new nature, he only has a sin nature. So the sinner can only choose sin. He's not going to choose goodness. Now you say some people, oh, well, some people do do good things like Mother Teresa or Gandhi or whatever. That's true. That's true. That does happen. But they cannot choose Christ and they cannot choose to do what is right without an act of God on the human will. The human will is in bondage. And the human will only acts in its own self-interest. That's the essence of sin, by the way. So you can do, you can be doing good things, but for your own self-interest, it has nothing to do with glorifying God. Uh, even if you just say, well, I'm helping humanity, you can convince yourself, I'm helping humanity. Well, yes, but there is some self-interest there as well. So the human will itself is in bondage. It cannot choose Christ. It cannot follow God. There's none that does good, no, not one, none that seeketh after God. So human nature will never choose Christ. In fact, the, the repentance and faith in Christ is antithetical to human nature, and, and, and it's antithetical to the human will. We will never choose Christ unless there's a work of the Holy Spirit on the human will and on the, and on the personality of that individual. And so God himself has to free the will at the point for, the, for a person to be converted. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're on the Calvinist or Arminian side. The Arminians called it prevenient grace, that God has already freed the will pre-salvation and the Calvinists would argue no God frees the will at the point of salvation so that the person can be saved either way we both agree the human will has to be free God doesn't free it whether now or later you're not getting saved it's just that simple uh, that's why the Bible says we didn't choose him he chose us but we'll get to that in another podcast and so that's the human will. So mind, emotions, and will. The will is in bondage. Emotions are damaged. The human mind is darkened. And the body's appetites are out of control. Now in the spirit, it says in Ephesians, that same chapter, Ephesians, having the understanding darkened beings, what? Separated from the life of God. Your human spirit is designed to be in contact with God. Well, it isn't because he's born in sin. And he doesn't have that relationship with God. But that's how you relate in the spirit realm. So where does that lead to? Witchcraft. So then there are other spirits in the spirit realm that want to contact you as well. In an extreme sense, it'd be voodoo, witchcraft, santeria, whatever other kind of stuff. Um, but ideas of karma and, and inner power and, and those types of things, uh, power, positive confession, blabbing and grabbing it, all that is, is an attempt of the human spirit to act, to act supernaturally apart from God. And it doesn't work. And it can, you know, power positive thinking, it can cloak itself in a prosperity gospel message. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Okay, so that's the condition of the human spirit. 
And then the conscience is damaged. The conscience proportions guilt. The conscience lets us know this is right, this is wrong. Sometimes the conscience, because it's damaged, will make us feel guilty longer than we need to. We're saved and we're still feeling guilty. Or the conscience can be seared to where we don't feel guilt about anything. No empathy whatsoever. A lot of narcissists are like that. They can do things and they feel nothing for the person that they're hurting. This is why men like Putin can wage war, kill children, and feel nothing. Because they're narcissists. It's, everything is about them. And this is the condition of... So when we talk about the sin, we talk about the lower nature, about the body and the flesh. What I just said to you is what I'm referring to. And I believe is what the Bible is referring to as well. Okay, now that we've defined what I mean by body or flesh or lower nature, um, all the S, the words, every time the word spirit in here is mentioned, it's in the capital letter because it's referring to the Holy Spirit. It's not referring to your spirit because your spirit can't do this kind of stuff. So the Holy Spirit says there's no condemnation. The Bible says if our heart condemns us, and meaning if our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our, than our conscience. So that supersedes. Uh, what the conscience may be saying, condemning us, because in Christ there's no condemnation. Verses 5 and 6, and it tells you who, the, the, for the mind of the spirit, the, those who mind the things of the flesh, the lower nature, which I just told you what that is, that's death. But if you mind the things of the Holy Spirit, then that's life. So, one of the things that, one of the disciplines of the Christian life, because a, a Christian is a disciple, um, I don't see much of a difference. But anyway, some people, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I didn't become a disciple. That's like saying I, Christ was my Savior, but I, and then 10 years later, I made him Lord. No, he was, you don't get saved unless he's Lord and Savior. You don't become a Christian unless you're a disciple. You're ready to be a disciple. And a disciple means a disciplined one, one who comes under the discipline of Christ. So what does that look like? It's focusing our minds, focusing our minds on the Holy Spirit. And what Christ, what God has done for us in Christ, not so much on what's going on here and on on the lower nature. The, the, the body's gonna, the lower nature is gonna do what it does. It's gonna always be pulling at us in the wrong direction and trying to over exaggerate our desires, etc. But if we focus on the Holy Spirit working on us, working on the mind, enlightening the mind, the Holy Spirit will then. Uh, free the will. The Holy Spirit will then heal the emotional damage. The Holy Spirit will then gives us power and energy to control the desires of the body. The Holy Spirit will fix our conscience and perfectly balance it out so that we're guilty when we should be. We should feel guilt when it's proper and then not feel guilt when it isn't proper to feel guilt. And the Holy Spirit does all of that. So, we, But we have to focus on moving towards the Holy Spirit, moving towards the things of God. And what the enemy does is he distracts us. He distracts us with religion. That's one of his greatest tools to hinder the church, is religion. He gets us caught up in, in anniversaries. He gets us caught up in church anniversaries. He gets us caught up in, in uh, conferences and convocations and all the heavy emphasis on that. And then he, he, he draws, draws it into politics, climbing the corporate ladder, you know, getting your license and getting your, then becoming a minister and then 
moving from there to being a pastor, and then being a pastor, you become a bishop, and from bishop, you're either apostle or prophet. And so the whole political apparatus is nothing but a parade of flesh, and it's a pageantry and a parade of flesh. That's all this stuff is. And takes us away from focusing on the things of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is trying to make us more like Christ and working on sanctifying us. And instead of focusing on the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're fixated on a political rise to power. And when we do bring the Holy Spirit in, it's about me being to be prophetic. I'm being so powerful that people can fall. I can make you fall down. It's about me praying for people and, and people getting healed. It's about me casting out demons. It's about me taking up serpents and scorpions and treading on all the power of the enemy. It's about the fantastical aspects of the Christian life. But not enough emphasis on sanctification. So more of an emphasis on power than on purity. It's a satanic trick to get us fixated on power rather than purity and sanctification in the Christian life. Some of the most powerful people that I know, for lack of a better term, are the most sanctified people that I know. There is a correlation between genuine power and sanctification the, to the depths of the person being sanctified. Now, let me make this clear here. When I say genuine power, I'm not talking about power to work miracles. I'm talking about how they're living right. And and there's a there's a there's a there's a, a fragrance and a a um, an attractiveness about them that draws people to them and people coming to them, but they they think that it's but it's not them, it's Christ in them. These people so reflect Christ, the world cannot help but sit up and take notice. That's what I mean by power. And they 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 do exercise supernatural power. But they do it quietly. They have no position. They have no title. There's nothing. They're not famous. They're not on television. They're not on radio. They're not podcasting. They're not doing any of those things. But they're just quietly behind the scenes doing the work of God. Praying for people. And in some cases, people get healed. Praying for people. In some cases, demons get cast out. of. But they say nothing about it. They just keep right on moving. Because their focus is not on the fanfare and on the external showiness their focus is on the work of the holy spirit in his sanctifying work and that's where they focus at so if your mind is fixated on the holy spirit or the spirit that says here in romans uh verses five uh, through eight the focus of the mind is on the spirit there's life but if you fixate on the political stuff that's death and that's why a lot of churches aren't growing and they're dead. Nothing seems to be going on. Because it's nothing more than a parade of flesh. Song leaders trying to gin up the Holy Spirit, trying to activate the Holy Spirit as though the Holy Spirit needs to be activated. The Holy Spirit has been there. The Holy Spirit is not welcome in this place. The Holy Spirit owns this place. It's his. Of course he's welcome. And he was there before you got there. So if nothing is happening, you need to look at yourself because it's not the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing that we can do to invoke and make the Holy Spirit move. Like somehow we're, that puts us in control. God is not sovereign then. You know, so now we're, we're the ones that are going to invoke the presence of God in here. We are going to change the atmosphere in here. Yeah, good luck. That's not happening.
Now you can you can work some people into a frenzy. You can whip yourself up, um, and making yourself think that that's the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost has been there. And the thing is, not for Him to come and do something for you. You need to catch up to Him, because He's there, all the time, ready and waiting to do whatever it is God is going to do. So let's put our focus on the right spot, right thing here. Focusing on the, the Holy Spirit in terms of his sanctifying work in our lives and in our hearts. That's very important. In Ezekiel, I believe it is, I'll look it up a little later, I believe it's Ezekiel 28 or 26. In fact, let's look that up now while I'm yapping away here. If I can find my... Here we go. And, but in Ezekiel, it, it describes conversion, the conversion of the believer. And, uh, let's see here. I'm looking it up now. That's why I'm talking a little slow here. But yes, in Ezekiel, he gives it a, a grand description of, of salvation. I, I, I could preach a whole sermon on that easily. Um, maybe one day I will, but again, um, all right, so let's go here to Ezekiel, uh, okay, it's not there, Ezekiel, do, 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 do. <laughs> okay. Ezekiel 36. Let's look at Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 25. And this talks about conversion. So let's listen to that and see what that says. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And Amen. That's God talking to the nation of Israel. But he's describing conversion. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and idols. So there has to be an act of cleansing. God has to wash us. He cleanses us, right? Sprinkle clean water and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from your idols. Then the next thing that has to happen, he has to go into the soul. I had to take away your heart of stone, right? Because we have a hard, hard heart. Remember the mind is darkened or hard. And she says, I'm going to take away the heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. A, flesh uh, a fleshy heart speaks of a heart that's tender, that can be uh, changed and transformed to the image and likeness of God. So he takes away the stony heart, gives you a heart of flesh, and then he says, I will put my spirit within you. Now you have the Holy Spirit within us. And he says, I'm going to take on that heart of flesh. I'm going to write my laws on your heart. See, God doesn't want the law. Writing the laws in a book is no good for us. It doesn't work because we have a heart of stone. But when he gives us a heart of flesh and then he writes the laws of God, the Holy Spirit comes and writes the laws of God on the human heart. 
he help, in other words, he internalizes the law of God inside of us. He fuses it into us so it becomes part of who we are and part of our nature, that new nature. And you should be clean from all your filthiness and idols, and I'll put the heart of flesh, write my laws upon you, and then I'll put my spirit within you. And now the Holy Spirit is going to not only put the laws of God on your heart and help you to internalize the laws of God, but now you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I will cause you. That means God's going to give you power to walk in my statutes and my laws. And that's what salvation is. That's the act, act of salvation and sanctification and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's for so that we can live a life that's godly and in obedience to him. All the other stuff that we see in Pentecost is just a lot of fluff and very little substance. And it helps no one and it does nothing. I'm tired of seeing people fall down backwards in services and no transformation whatsoever. Or well, we had a good time shouting, but then I don't see the I don't see any implications of what all that did. How did that help them? Except for momentarily you might feel better, I guess. But there's nothing transformational about that. May God help us. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if... Amen. So we just looked at that part of Romans there. That's starting about verse 9. Who has the Spirit of God? You know, some people think that you can become a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. That's impossible. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us. So if you're regenerated and you're born of God's Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. Now what they do is they confuse that with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an empowerment for service. One has nothing to do with the other. But in terms of salvation, salvation, yeah, everybody has the Holy Spirit already. All believers. And then, if you're a Pentecostal and you want to look at a second work of grace, um, then there's an empowerment by the Holy Spirit to do service or ministry. And that's why Christ told them to tarry in Jerusalem. And so they could receive power. He didn't say salvation. He said you can receive power after the Holy Ghost come upon you because of the task that was ahead of them. And what they had to do. And today we still need power to do evangelism. I need that power of the Holy Spirit. The infilling of the Holy Spirit. Um, that In that aspect. Uh, but if you're saved, you already have the Holy Ghost. Please. So that's who has the Holy Spirit. And, and that's how we know that we're children of God. Verse 10. The implications of having the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
Well, it shows up in verse 11. Unlimited power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Remember now, this is resurrection power. How many, what kind of power can take a dead person and raise him back to life? That's a power that's divine. It only comes from God. Can take death and then make a, a dead man get back up. So in the same way, that power, that divine power is available to us so that we can live a godly life. So God has not left us powerless. He hasn't said do something and then not given us the means and the power to do it. But we do it not in human effort or human energy or even human discipline. We do it by uh, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit for right living. That's one of the words of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify us so that we can live godly lives. And he said, will he not freely with us with that give us all things? And all things refers to the things that pertain to life and godliness. That's in Second Peter. That by these we can be partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. So we have the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit in terms of living a godly life. Uh, verse 12 and 13, the Holy Spirit gives us power over the dictates of the lower nature. That's how we conquer that lower nature, which I just mentioned before. That's how we conquer the flesh. That's how we conquer the body. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. In His strength and in His strength alone. I'm a victorious Christian today. If I do anything right, if I overcome my lower nature, it's because of the power of God. It has nothing to inherit within me that can you do it, you know. I love these gospel songs. I got to clean up what I messed up, start all over again. No, you can't clean it up. Yeah, you messed it up, but you can't clean it up. Christ has to clean it up, and God has to fix it. Uh, there's nothing that you can say or do that's going to fix the problems that we have created with our own uh, bad behavior. Uh, God must now give us the power to do the things that he has commanded us to do in terms of fixing some of these some of the stuff that we've created but if you try to fix it in your own power with your own wisdom it's, it's going to backfire and blow up in your face every time so Holy Spirit gives us power over the dictates of a lower nature verse 14 through 16 the Holy Spirit adopts us he confirms our he adopts us as sons he brings us into the family via adoption so we have the full rights as sons and as heirs. Uh, so everything that Christ is going to inherit, we're going to inherit along with him. Heirs of Christ. And, and but then he qualifies it. Part of being an heir of Christ or part of coming into that adoption means we also have to suffer with him. Yeah, so get ready because suffering is coming. The, the Christian does not... In a sense, we do live our best life now if we're in Christ. That is the best possible life I could live. But best life now for the believer does not mean a life free of suffering. And in some cases, uh, wanting or, or or being impoverished. Uh, sometimes we, God will call us to become poor so we can make others rich. If that's what God calls us to do. So, this is all part of the Christian life. So if you're going to be an heir of Christ, which we are, because through the adoption of the Holy Spirit, he's the adoptor, um, then he's the one that helps us deal with the suffering. And what is this adoption? The adoption confirms our conversion. 
the inner witness. For God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I never tell people that they're saved. I let the Holy Spirit tell them that they're saved. I don't know if you're saved. I don't care if you prayed a sinner's prayer, you've been to the altar. The worst thing you can do is have somebody come to the altar and then to say, if you said this prayer and you meant it in your heart, you are converted. No, let the Holy Spirit do that. That's his job. The Holy Spirit will bear witness with their spirit that they are the children of God. The founder of Soul Saving Station, Billy Roberts, said he went for a couple of days and didn't get high after he got saved. See, the Holy Spirit confirmed his salvation. He began to notice things and differences. And so God began to bear witness. Let me ask you, if you're listening to this podcast, do you have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit bore witness to your spirit that you're born of God? If he hasn't, you might want to go back and seek him some more. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives that confirmation of salvation. And I know that's subjective, but that's what the Bible says, and it says what it says. You'll start to notice things. you start to notice differences, different desires. Certain things that you used to do, you just don't want to do it anymore. I hear people getting saved and I just stop getting high. I don't want to. I just, I just don't want to get high. I don't want to get drunk anymore. Stop. They just stop. Which you know is almost unheard of. Yeah. And that's not to say that everybody who struggles with it isn't saved. But I'm just giving an example of some of the things that you can look at that, that indicate salvation or transformation. Something has happened. But there are so many counterfeit conversions. Oh, so many. Because people getting saved, quote unquote, and being told that they're saved when in fact they really don't have salvation at all. Well, thank you for listening to part one of Life in the Spirit as we're going through Romans, the eighth chapter. And we will continue next week, God willing, in part two of Life in the Spirit. What does it mean to have a life, a spirit-filled life? What does that look like? God bless you and thank you. If you have not heard some of my other podcasts or interviews with Lael Divine, Love Back to Life from her book. Please listen to that interview. You just go to the site where the, where the podcasts are at and you scroll down some of my past podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you can, you can see that one as well. Excellent interview. Young lady who, Christian, God was using her mightily and then she gets pregnant and that whole odyssey of from victory to defeat, back to victory. Uh, thank God for our redeeming love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Also, interviews Kikapu to Kathmandu, the, the, the Lovets, the super missionaries, true apostles to the to the, uh, the Silk Road. And uh, you will love that interview as well if you haven't heard that one yet. And also, with Val Eliason, ministry in the Philippines and to the LGBTQ community. Powerful ministry. These are powerful ministries, powerful people who I highly recommend. Um, and then also the interview I did with a really cool pastor, and I mean that in a very good way. Um, pastor Chad Mansbridge in, the, in uh, Down Under. So we would just praise and thank God for him as well. And he's in Australia. 
So God bless you and thank you. And I deeply appreciate all those who take the time to listen to this. I know this is time out of your day. And um, and I pray to God that I'm giving you something worthwhile. I want to make it worthwhile your time. That it'll be something that'll help you and enhance you in your Christian life. And help you uh, walk closer to God. God bless you and thank you very much for listening in. And until next time, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.